This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. Into the end zone for the touchdown. Hollywood Brown has been spectacular. Connor to the five and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. Well, there's no doubt the uh, level of physicality has picked up at Cardinals camp. Fact, I'm thinking I might need to forewarn everyone here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. Yes, Danny Sarek, Darren Urban, producer Jim Omohundro, that things happen in threes. There have been two big hits so far, and a third one might come at any moment. Casa Galvisi less than a week ago, our grand tree in the backyard took a direct hit from either lightning, I don't know what it was, split it in three. Yesterday, driving on the first day of pads, how appropriate that I took a massive boulder off the right side of my windshield. Oof. Wasn't even heavy traffic. I have no idea where it came. It's sort of like Buda Baker coming out of nowhere to make a tackle. Like, where did that come from? Uh, I have no idea. I wasn't tailgating a truck or anything. Now I have the San Andreas fault on the right side of my windshield. I have to get that addressed. That's never good. But these things happen in three. So at any moment, there might be another big hit coming of some sort. Maybe it's at... Full padded practice. I don't know, Danny, but keep your head on a swivel. Can we go retroactively? Because I had a massive crack in my windshield that cracked about three quarters of my windshield about two weeks ago. I got fixed. Can that be the third? Oh, and we see, could be that, done that with that the bad omens. The first. That would be good. That would be good. Can we can we team up? Did you get it addressed immediately? You already had it replaced. I did. I had it replaced. Like any good slacker, I'm asking myself, how long can I go with that crack? Mine was really bad though. Like almost my whole whole windshield was mm-hmm. cracked. Okay. All right. That's never good. What was the biggest hit first day of pads? I saw Isaiah Simmons come up and, and lay some lumber on Corey Clement right, right through the B-gap, and uh, he kind of he jarred Clement initially. Didn't knock him down. Nobody's going to the ground. But what was the biggest hit and or collision of the first day of pads? I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, th- there were a few. I mean, the things that caught my eye were not even collisions. I mean, the, the main one that caught my eye was the Michael Wilson, Christian Matthew kind of face mask to face mask jawing that didn't raise to the level of the fight, which is a good idea since they're going to get kicked out of practice if that happens. But um, I, I guess for me, the first day of practice, I mean, the first day of pads, it wasn't – it certainly was physical, but it was it was shorter. It wasn't – it wasn't like, oh, we've been waiting six months to go hit each other. It did not feel that way. And that doesn't mean it doesn't mean it wasn't a good first day, but I, I, I'm wondering if they're kind of like if they had a very uh, deliberate way of wanting to get into pads. Like it took them a little while to get into the 11 on 11. It wasn't a long practice uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, once they started hitting each other, they were they did it for less than an hour, didn't they? Yes, the contact part, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, after they did position drills. and yeah. It's interesting, though. Last couple of times uh, I've been at practice, I've gone to watch the O-line and D-line, and they're getting a heck of a workout down there before they come up to the main field for team. I mean, it, it's funny because DJ Humphreys was saying, you know, yeah. how exhausted he was Didn't want to die. And I really wanted to follow up with DJ, but I didn't have the guts, admittedly, to say, well, wait a minute. 
you just spent the last four years going up-tempo, no huddle. Hadn't not only DJ but a number of other offensive linemen saying how they had to get their cardio ramped up for that whole spread system. Now I wouldn't think it would be as taxing, a more traditional let's huddle after every play, get up to the line of scrimmage, use more of the play clock. I wouldn't think it would be as exhausting, but when you watch the O-line, D-line, and the workout that they do down in the subfield and everything they're going through, those guys are on the move constantly. Yeah, and I feel like that was a pretty good battle that was better than I was expecting from from seeing in the trenches of what I saw from the from the D-line in those, you know, 7 or 11 on 11 drills. I felt like interesting enough, the defense had a stronger day than the offense for the first day in pads. Um, I do like seeing those one-on-one drills, though, with receivers and DBs in those pads because they're, they're allowed to, you know, actually go up against each yeah. other. Buda Baker had defended a, pass, a really great pass on Noah Togiai, and then that's where the Christian Matthew and Michael Wilson, which from my angle looked like maybe Christian was a little handsy. Oh, kinda, it wasn't just your angle. It was, what was really happening. Wrapped around him, and so I'm sure some words were exchanged afterwards, but, but that's what – that's what I thought was one of the better parts to see of practice in the pads of where you really see the difference. Well, and you also, I mean, my, my long tenure watching this game, the, the cornerbacks are usually the group that chirp the most anyways. So now when you get to the pads and you start getting the physicality, then all of a sudden that, that all ramps up, the emotion ramps up. And, and I, to me, that's when you get the pads on, that's, that's the most, to me, one of the most – interesting things to watch it's not just them being physical it's also how the emotion ramps up and then again how you handle that emotion and that's where you know we're talking about Gannon and making sure that there's nobody fighting and 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 kicking guys out of practice if it did come to that you've got to be able to control that because you haven't had that for a long time O-line D-line drills Will Hernandez finished a couple of blocks a couple of one-on-one reps with a little extra shove at the very end you can see why a year ago at this time, a little brouhaha, a little skirmish broke out, him and J.J. Watt. He does like to finish some of those blocks. So we'll see where that's tracking a week from now when they do those O-line, D-line drills. But, look, it was great theater for me, at least, to watch Zayvon Collins go against Paris Johnson Jr. Yeah. That was really interesting. Obviously, you know, you basically have two newcomers. You have the sixth pick overall, and then you have Zayvon Collins at the edge participating in that drill. You saw DJ Humphreys going against a, a variety. It's hard not to watch that, though, and go, oh, man, where's B.J. Ojolari? And with that in mind, because to me, when you look at the D-line, you look at the corner room and edge rusher. My J. Sanders isn't out there either. Right. I mean, it really is the land of opportunity out there, is it not? Where, where exactly are the Cardinals going with the plane rotations in those three rooms? I mean, you, you, we could have a lengthy debate here on Cardinals Underground as to where you think the depth chart stands right here, right now. And you could come up with a number of different scenarios. I think it's clear from what we've seen we will see a true rotation on the defensive line. That seems to be the only position where we haven't consistently seen the same group running with first team and multiple practices, just kind of a rotation of who's out there together and, and which team they're out there with. Um, it's just, it's interesting to me because when you're talking about B.J. Ojolari, the rookie, <clears throat> we haven't seen him on the field all offseason. And we know that he had a procedure on his knee after the draft, and that's what he's been dealing with. And while Jonathan Gannon has said that we can expect to see Ojolari out on the field soon, 
to me he said the same thing about Sanders by the way to me the longer he goes without being able to practice the less we are able to rely on him to come in as a starter it's it's very different obviously than somebody like Zavin who has that experience now under his belt albeit in a, a different position but I just think there's such a jump that even though that's the expectation of what you saw from Ojolari in college and where you drafted him and, and he can be getting those mental reps, which we see on the sideline with Rob Rodriguez, his position coach, and working with Zavin and being in meetings, and that's all great. But as a rookie, to not have those practice reps, the longer we wait, the less I am expecting him to come in as a starter, and maybe he just comes in on third and fourth downs, and that's how he starts the season if, if he's ready to go week one in Washington, and then you start to ramp him up the weeks you know after that as he – gets his cardio up or a yeah. playbook down or anything like that. I just like at, at this point, I feel like if we don't see him out at State Farm Stadium of training camp, is it realistic to expect him to come in and be a starter? And, and I'll be honest, in most other years, I don't know if I would have expected him to be a starter anyways. Um, now, this year is way different because of the opportunities there because there isn't anybody set. But I agree. I mean, the the longer way, and you, when you say State Farm Stadium, I mean this year State Farm Stadium tr training camp is over after next week, and so is he really going to be back on the field before then? I don't think he is. I I, I feel like the, the the things can change, obviously, but I feel like that the the train has left the station as far as Ojolari being able to start. Uh, at the beginning of the season I, I i feel like he's going to be a situational guy and you're going to go with guys veteran guys who you're just more comfortable with whether that's dennis gardeck or zavin collins or whoever i would agree that's the reality of the situation but let's just say bj ojalari showed up tomorrow could he instantly flash and move ahead of jesse lucetta victor dimukeji even dennis gardeck in his sixth season you're talking about a guy who was first team all sec who in his career was second only to Will Anderson in quarterback pressures. So could he come in and instantly flash? And if he has a mastery of the playbook and he's not a liability, if the coaches, the almighty word trust, they can trust him. If there's one guy who can out of nowhere just show up and by the end of his first week of practice be a real factor in this defense, I'm guessing it's B.J. Ojolari. As far as the defensive line, I, I'm with you, Danny. To me, so far, I think Lecky Foto has looked good. Jonathan Ledbetter has looked good. And L.J. Collier. I thought L.J. Collier really stood out in the padded practice, especially at the beginning. He was, he was getting penetration and blowing up a couple of plays. So that would be a huge benefit if the former first-round pick can like, do some things like that. Of course, he was conspicuous by his long walk of shame off the field. Yes. I'm back together Saturday. But you know what? I like that because if you listen to the 12s, and rarely do you ever hear me listen to the 12s, but one thing that they didn't like about L.J. Collier was the motor, was the want to. So if he's in this contract year, a one-year prove-it deal, former first-round pick, and, you know, he's bringing a little something extra, he's got a little spur, if you will, under the shoulder pads, and he's bringing in some attitude, I think that's what Seattle was waiting for for four years after they drafted him. So – there's a guy, I think, who has a talent that's intriguing. Carlos Watkins, experienced guy from Dallas. I'm guessing those are your first four defensive linemen at this point. Rashard Lawrence, look, he's flashed in the past, hasn't been reliable enough in terms of staying healthy. I don't know what they think of how he looks so far. I haven't really seen him 
do much of. No, but once again, they could go any direction in that defensive line room, and I wouldn't be surprised at this point. I, I do think it's, and that's the question I wanted to ask Monty Asifor, and again, I chickened out, was there are some camps you come in in the NFL, and there's a few positions undecided. To what degree is this roster still wide open? I, I mean, I, I, th- I think it is wide open in a number of ways. Maybe, maybe not. The, the thing is this, when we look at some, some of this stuff, um, I, I think it's more wide open than usual because of, of the circumstances the roster is under. But the, the thing is, is these coaches have already been talking about these players for months now, and they got to see them over the course of the offseason. My guess is they have a pretty good idea of, you know, some of the direction. I'm not saying guys can't win or lose jobs for the roster here for sure, but I think you have an idea, which is, you know, why you end up with, for instance, at this point, um, Christian Matthew getting uh, starting cornerback spot over like Antonio Hamilton, you know, something like that, or Keetrell Clark getting some of those reps too. I mean, you can tell they maybe want to get a little bit younger. I'm not saying – I think Antonio Hamilton's going to be on this team, but is he going to get the playing time over those guys? I don't know because I think, again, with the position that they're in as a team, now is the time to throw guys into the fire and see what they have because you don't know what kind of results you're going to get and you might as well see if these guys can hold up for the long term. That cornerback rotation you just cited with the two young guys over Antonio Hamilton I think is the same logic and reasoning and rationale that the Cardinals use in a right tackle. Yeah. Is Kelvin Beecham more plug-and-play right here right now than Paris Johnson Jr.? Probably. Oh, but Paris Johnson Jr. has looked good. I mean, massive mound of man, incredibly athletic, has a nasty streak. You see it when they do those O-line, D-line drills. But in terms of plug-and-play and being ready week one, Kelvin Beecham would be the guy. However, what does that do for you long-term? How, how, how does that develop this team? So I, that's – now, wait a minute. We've gone several minutes here, and we haven't brought up how Clayton Toon was getting first-team reps. So. Okay, but we've also gone several minutes here, and I'm, like, dying to ask, what is this shake right here? My smoothie. What is in it? Why is it green? Because I put spinach in it. Okay, but it's just other. So when you get your, do you have some? <laughs> what on Excuse earth? Me. Where is where, where where is my cough button? I'm gonna have to. Okay, spinach in a morning smoothie. Yeah, but you can't taste it. That, 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 you yeah, can't yeah, taste it. I'm trying to get some okay. some vitamins, some what? veggies, Paul. Do they make this for you, or do you have to make your? I own? made this at the hotel before I came here. Okay, so you, you're camp. comfortable enough just going back there and making your own i got approval to go back there to make sure they weren't busy with making no i understand I, I get it I, I'm, I'm not saying that i would want somebody they have to make offered to me. make my smoothie but i feel bad i can handle it i i just get worried i'd screw it up oh it not that i'd make up. yours it's just fruit and like milk and spinach yeah hmm. okay it's actually i know it looks gross but it tastes I know, really I, good I, I would drink it. i just it kind of looks like green juice except it's obviously thicker so i was like that's not yes, green juice that's right? a great way to describe the color for the okay. viewers it looks uh, like green juice what uh, were we talking about Paul? i'm conspicuously left out of this Clayton conversation Tune. um how do you reveal you're not a healthy eater without actually revealing it i think i just did so i'll leave that aspect of this podcast you're in better shape the two than of you am, paul um clayton toon yes first day of pads and he usurps the headlines by running first team about half a practice he did although I would say it was limited first. It was definitely first team offensive line. You know, you you were getting the rotation of the skill guys for sure. Um, I, look, they're gonna. I, I've thought all along he's going to get a long look at some of this stuff because 
what the first pad of practice really looked like to me was starting to prepare for the first preseason game. And I wonder how much Cole McCoy is really going to play in that game. Good point. Compared to like Clayton Toon. Um, but I also thought he looked like a rookie during the pad of practice, quite frankly. Um, I mean, he did a couple things nice, but uh, before we got to contact and, and all that stuff, I thought he looked a lot sharper. And then all of a sudden it got a little bit more real and, and he looked like a rookie a little bit. So I, there's, there's going to be that. And I think it's a cool story and I'm sure we're going to continue to talk about it on a daily basis out here. And, and we should, because it's interesting and it's the quarterback, but uh, you know, I, I still don't, I don't think he's done anything yet that you're saying to yourself, he absolutely has got to be somebody who you put in over Colt McCoy. This feels similar to what you were describing with Paris Johnson and Kelvin Beecham of you're drafting young. You're probably wanting to prepare for the future of who will be the future backup to Kyler Murray, right? Moving on um, after this season and, and wanting him to progress and kind of start to get a hold of this offense. And I do think it does say something that he, even before the first pad of practice, has been getting those second team reps ahead of Jeff Driscoll and David Blau. I do think that says something about Clayton Toon. However, I do think seeing him with the ones is more what Darren was talking about, was preparing for preseason and and you're you know your ones aren't going to constantly be out there with the ones you're, you're at the point where you have to start mixing people in together and changing up the combinations and we saw that a little bit with the offensive line as well so that's kind of what it felt like for me of seeing Clayton Toon run with the ones yeah you're a week and a half from your first preseason game so to Darren's point to your point before you even got to the first day of pads a lot of the snaps were equal between Colt McCoy and Clayton Toon Yes. Right, you broke it down in one of your blogs on azcardinals.com, yeah. did you not? It was like 14, 14, 6, 6. Yeah. And so – Although top- that day of practice, it was interesting because I felt like the, the, the practice built to the very end, the last group of 11-on-11s, and then that's when Colt got the majority of the reps. So, again – Here, Here's the other thing I'll yeah, throw into the yeah. equation. This time of year ago into camp, what happened? Colt McCoy had to be shut down. Yeah, that's true. Because Kyler, what was it, the wrist or and COVID. COVID? COVID and the wrist. I mean, all of a sudden, Colt had an inordinate amount of the snaps. Yeah. And they learned the hard way that, guess what? He's soon to be 37 years old. Uh, let's err on the side of caution. And he, I'm pretty sure Colt was already dealing with an elbow yeah. at that point. Yeah. And, and, and you're still dealing with that, right. which is why he's had a couple of days where he like goes through the motions but never actually releases the ball for a throw. Now, if you really want to want a quarterback hot take, I'm driving into the first day of pads. This was um, right before I got uh, beamed by the rock on, on the freeway. ESPN Radio was talking about Your Dak. windshield got beamed. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I would worry for your health well, if, I just, if you got beamed. As a car rock. guy, I, just, I felt the pain myself. Oh, that's true. Okay. Okay. Um, I wore one for the team, as our Jim Omohundro would know from the whole baseball days, right? Okay, you can't show the pain. But uh, anyway, I'm driving in, and they're talking about Dak Prescott underwhelming a Cowboys camp so far this year. Why are you year. looking at me, Paul? ESPN Radio. <laughs> Just to see if there was a look of surprise or if there was maybe like I a head nod. I see it all on Twitter. Maybe like a head, okay. So then all of a sudden the conversation evolves into Dak is coming into a contract year of some sort and are you going to pay him more than $50 million per year? And if he doesn't take him to the NFC Championship for the first time since the late 90s, maybe they part ways with Dak. And then the next element of this sports talk radio discussion on national radio, ESPN radio was, will Dallas make Kyler Murray their offseason target? It's funny because I saw a tweet 
from somebody. I believe it was more a fan. It was so I. You this know, was before. Camp. This was no. This was like last week or a week well, and a half ago. Because oh, I remember we were recently. Yes, we okay. were at the hotel. Okay. And I saw a tweet oh, from right. a fan replying to one of my friends who is a journalist and covers the Cowboys, and they had that same hot take of saying, I can't wait for Kyler Murray to be in a Cowboys uniform next year. And I sent it to Darren being like, that's really funny. Like, I just, I hadn't heard that take before. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of Cowboys fans felt that way of just the way that Kyler performed when he was playing in Texas in high school and in college and, he's you know, still what undefeated. he did his rookie year, right? He's undefeated in that stadium At still, right? Stadium, it's going to be a, a long, long year I just between hadn't... the Cowboys thing and – and uh, Monty being asked in his press conference if he's already thinking about using a drop pick on a quarterback. And we're like one week into training camp. That to me is such a stretch if that happens. I mean, I'm saying that now, August 2nd. So who knows what will happen in the next eight or nine months. But Look, I, I think for me, for me it's we, we've got to see – we, we've got to see what Kyler does on the field, and I think everybody keeps saying that. I, I heard uh, Mike Sando on local radio recently, and – I love Mike, but he has not been around this team. And he was like, he he almost sounded incredulous that there was a chance Kyler was going to play this season. I'm like, he's I'm pretty sure he's going to play. I'd be stunned if he didn't play. Now, how much he's going to play, I don't know. How late he comes back, I don't know. Um, but I, I, you know, I think we need to see what Kyler Murray looks like in this offense and all that stuff. And could there be some hard decisions after this season? Sure, there could be. But um, man, it, that just seems like so far getting over our skis i mean i understand why espn is talking about such things and i also heard that the the conversation came up in context of anti-dac more than just kyler going to dallas and and we all know how much espn loves talking about dak prescott look there's one thing you know for sure about the cowboys they need a fall guy last year was kellen moore get out it's your fault then all of a sudden, Jerry Jones put the play calling duties on Mike McCarthy. Some people think that's tracking towards the demise of Mike McCarthy. What was interesting was C.D. Lamb at Cowboys camp went into this whole explanation that Dak is really calling the plays and that Dak is, is basically dictating everything in the huddle. So it's almost like Mike McCarthy has outsourced it to Dak saying, you know what, you are the target of the play calling because if things go awry, um, the responsibility is yours. And C.D. Lamb was so bullish on Dak calling plays that he warned defensive backfields to, quote, back up this year because uh, they really like the deep strike. So either back up or you pay the price, Do TVs. You, uh, Paul, you and I are old enough to remember when quarterbacks actually did call all the plays. Yeah, Kurt uh, Warner. I mean, well, I, I mean, how much did Kurt Warner I, well, okay, Kurt, change and dictate the line Kurt of scrimmage? But Kurt was a little bit different, or, or Peyton Manning. But I'm like, I'm like talking about like the mid to late 70s where literally every quarterback in the league was like – you, you had a game plan, and, and then you would, you would call the plays. So there's that. And then there was a question of Mike Vrabel, by the way. I think this feels like a good time to work this in. Um, how many five-year-olds coach would it take to tackle Derrick Henry? <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. The Titans put it on their social media, and there was one player who said all of them, <laughs> literally all of them. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. funny. I'm, it's probably right around the range of what a lot of guys were saying of like at least 30 to 40. Vrabel um, immediately answered a bleep ton is what he answered. And then later he thought about it, and he, he said 35. Not sure how he arrived at 35, but he arrived at 35. Vrabel's a smart guy. I'm sure there's rolls. math involved there. So. I, I will say, it cracked me up when I saw that because uh, 
and this is probably this is for this this could be 20 years ago now maybe earlier there's a website called mcsweeney's which has often has some satire writing and the, the very first article i ever read on that was the first person about uh how long uh, how many 12 year olds it would take before uh, how many 12 year olds could i hold off before they took me down or something like that and that's what i thought of like with this five and why would you go five like why wouldn't you go like 10 yeah what was the the point is like small children yeah but small children like there's there's like a well, what was the genesis of that question? There had to have been something topical that led to that no, question. No, I, I kept picturing a Super Bowl situation where some I just woman from on, a Mexican TV station in a wedding dress asked that question. I just saw it on TikTok first, so I don't know if that was just a no. thought that maybe their social team had or if it came from somewhere else that I don't know. It does look like, though, really quick, sidebar, look, talking about the Titans, that DeAndre Hopkins is, DeAndre Hopkins is – Making it known he's been practicing. Oh yeah, I guess I, I almost felt bad. Like, did he did he hear me talk about it on the last podcast? I think people have been tweeting about it. I've no, seen him that. like quote tweet or I don't know, repost now. I guess I should be saying, um, but yeah, he's making it clear he's been practicing. So good for them. Darren's whole analogy to the uh, reporter in the uh, wedding dress at Super Bowl Media Day just reinforces I made the right decision in not asking Jonathan Gannon because I wanted so badly to throw out there how many five year olds would it take to tackle James Conner and see what he said, but he's been all business at these press conferences, wouldn't you say? And and I, I did fear being, being that shut, guy. Shut down right he did there. like Wolf's question about the huddle. He did. He did like that. Although right. Wolf asked another question later, and he was he shut that down pretty quick. So we had Josh Woods, and this is my segue. We had Josh Woods, new inside linebacker, special teams assassin, former Lions team captain last year on the Red Sea Report. And I asked him as to whether he saw any similarities between what Dan Campbell did resetting the culture in Detroit to what JG is attempting to do with the Arizona Cardinals. And he literally cut off the question and said, absolutely. And went on, and I'm, I'm quoting loosely here, he said, there are a lot of parallels. There's the no-nonsense attitude without micromanaging, putting responsibility on the players. This is Josh Woods, by the way, on JG right now, teaching you to hold yourself and others accountable. It's a fun environment. People want to be here. They want to do things right. Guys get rewarded for doing things right. It's equal opportunity across the board at a lot of positions. Coaches aren't playing smoke and mirrors. They're very straight up where you stand. They're forward with us. You can trust the coaches, and that's how trust is built, and it becomes very easy to play for a coach like that. So I thought that was an interesting reaction from Josh Woods and just his assessment since culture has gotten such a – a lot of play in this camp, right? It's not a culture shift. It's a culture shock. I mean, uh, I, I, we're early in the process. I, it, all signs right now point to good vibes, uh, this being uh, uh, accepted pretty well by this team of the direction they're going and how they're trying to do it. Now, again, the question always becomes how, how does it hold up once the games start? How, much do, how can it hold up if – you're doing everything right, but you don't have the talent base to win a lot of games. What happens then? And I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but, I mean, again, that's, that's when culture truly gets tested is when there starts to become results that get measured. Um, that, that's how you measure that culture. And, and you can – the Lions are a great example. Dan Campbell's first year, the Lions weren't super successful, but they were going in the right direction, and you built off of that. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what everybody's thinking of this year for the Cardinals is like, let's create a foundation you can build upon whatever direction you're talking about, whether it is 
how Gannon runs the locker room, how Monty Ossenfort builds the roster, how you approach your job, how the offense is set up, all those things. Um, if you feel like the arrow is pointing up when it's all said and done, you, you've, you've done a nice job. That's kind of where I stand right now is expectations aside, even if you know this team only gets maybe a few more wins than last year with what you're dealing with, with strength of schedule, whatever it might be. It feels like there is hope. Hope that this organization is making the right decisions from top down to create long-term success. I think I think you could argue that night one of the drafts draft the moves that Monty Awesomefort made could drastically change the trajectory of this organization and that you'll start to see dividends of that in the next two to three years. So I think that that is also something to hold on to is not just clearly in seeing and hearing the changes of the culture within that locker room, but the whole organization. It just feels like even if you don't have great results, it still feels like things are trending in the right direction overall. And, and, and again, I don't, I, I don't want to be pessimistic about anything, but just to be to fair, this is usually this is usually where you are with a new coaching staff. You, you are usually at a place where you're thinking, yay, it's, we, you know, there's a reason you made a change. We're moving up. Like, again. We had these the same feelings about Steve Wilkes. Let's be honest. Yeah. 2018, we were all bullish on that camp. Were we not? This is exactly yes. what this team needs. A dose of discipline. More physicality. And the, and the Get rea- rid of Camp Cupcake. And the reality was, and I love Steve. I, he was a great man, and I think he's a good coach. Um, but the, also the reality is by the time you got to week two of the regular season, he had already lost some key veterans in that locker room. And it was impossible to overcome the deficit you had a quarterback. Yeah, well, that's Sam true Bradford too. wasn't the same. Again, Josh Rosen was a rookie. Was Talent so, matters. Right. So – to full circle back to your original point, is culture going to overcome a lack of talent in an NFL game? No. However, if you have two evenly matched teams, culture can be the difference. It was a Cardinals team last year, let's be honest, that led the league in pre-snap penalties. That matters. Okay, when you're beating yourself, especially if you're not the most talented team in the league, you can't be your own worst enemy. It can't be Cardinals beating Cardinals. So with that in mind, okay, look, Mike Tomlin, they flashed a stat yesterday on NFL Network. 16 seasons has finished 500 or better every single year with the Steelers. Have Show they, off. Have they been the most talented roster? Absolutely not, but it's somehow some way he figures out to keep them competitive. They'll finally turn around for the Lions. They won eight of the last ten last year, so we'll see. Is this a two-year process? Perhaps. But you're setting the foundation – for what happens when you're able to fortify the roster with more talent. But we have no idea what's going to happen week one when you go into Washington. You really don't. I'm probably going to go sightseeing. I do know that. Are we going to have that Saturday? Is that, is that what you're telling me? Is that a Friday I'm trip? Sure, is yeah, that a I formal thought, invite to join you? Do you want to come with me sightseeing? Can I think about it and get back to you? Sure. Bring the uh, yes. energy drink my, over there. My, my, That's my, all you need. It's under- not the energy drink. It's just a smoothie my, ball. My understanding is, yes, we will be, uh, it'll be a Friday trip. Okay. All right. Uh, what else stands out to this whole – by the way, uh, I mentioned Isaiah Simmons with the big hit coming from deep center field safety. Isn't that primarily where we have seen 
Isaiah Simmons, who in the past has been spotted at a half dozen different positions, but he's almost strictly has been center field safety in this camp. Has Although I feel like the last couple days we've seen him well, a lot closer to the line of scrimmage a few times. Now, I don't know if that's because of the packages they're running or what they're doing, but all of a sudden, like, all, he's, he's down there. So, like, does that mean they don't, they're not comfortable with him as a deep center? Is that mean they're trying something else? I, I, I don't know what it means, um, but it is interesting to watch him kind of move around. You know what else is interesting? Correct me if I'm wrong. When he came out of the draft, oh, he's phenomenally talented. He can do this, this, he can do everything, but is he physical enough? Honestly, my takeaway three years later is he is physical enough. I agree. But what else can he do? It's almost completely the inverse. What, where exactly does he fit with all that athleticism? But there's no question about his physicality. He'll come up and smack you. Yeah. In fact, he's cost the team a couple of times with some late hits out of bounds at Seattle famously a couple New of England. years ago. New it, was England. New England. it was New England. New England, you're right. New England. I, I, you know, I, it's funny because I can go back. I remember doing a, a feature story on Isaiah Simmons at the Combine before we knew the Cardinals were going to draft him, but he was a guy that was in the mix for who the Cardinals might take. And uh, somebody else asked him about and part of that conversation he had with the media was about how he was the kind of guy who was perfect in today's NFL because he was going to be able to cover – he was athletic enough to cover tight ends because tight ends had become such a weapon. And obviously that hasn't quite worked out the way that they – the Cardinals had hoped the last couple of years, and it's going to be interesting to see what that means this year. Like is he going to just be that deep guy? Is he going to be a cover guy? I mean, I don't know. Vance Joseph said that more than once the last couple of years. Isaiah Simmons was, quote, drafted to cover the tight end. Yeah. So is that the way he's going to be? I don't know. That's another one of those things that very curious. We won't know until week one exactly how they're going to deploy Isaiah Simmons. But once again, to me, the biggest non-question mark with him is he's more than willing to come up and play with force and, and violence. So, Just like Danny. Speaking of the safety position. She'll play with violence. Buda Baker. Did we ever wrap up the whole Buda Baker situation and – because to me, I talked about all business with head coach Jonathan Gannon. Nobody looks more locked in right now with a bigger chip on his shoulder pad than Buda Baker. And that's saying something for a two-time All-Pro. But just down on the sideline and had a brief interaction with him and some of the other coaches, and he was talking about he took no days off. He had that shoulder fracture, and he didn't take a significant vacation of any sort. And he just looks like he's more motivated than ever. I think we can – close the not the book but turn the chapter on this Buda Baker contract situation at least to get through the season and when general manager Monty Austin Fort talked to the media and that was brought up he just cited the great communication with Baker's you know representation and you know wanting him to be on the team and all of that good stuff so we'll see what happens when the season ends but it is nice to know that it will not be a distraction this year it's funny because Monty was specifically asked, does this put it to bed? And he never said it was put to bed. Here's, here's how I feel about the Buddha stuff, uh, knowing him his whole career, knowing some of the things he said. Um, I think Buddha would always be playing like that, probably, Paul. Um, but when he met with the media last week, uh, you know, he was asked – uh, by our own Zach Gershman, actually, about loyalty to the team. Um, and he was he answered the right way, which is if I don't 
play like I'm supposed to, I'm not going to play. Which he didn't say I'm not going to be here, but he might as well have. But he also uh, mentioned he was on his fourth, fourth head coach, and his loyalty was to really the owner because there had been yeah. so much change in the coaching staff. Here's the thing. I think Buddha. I, I don't know if it's fair to ask about loyalty because the reality is, and this is why I think he's ultra-motivated, because next year it's the rubber meet the road year. Like, is he getting an extension or not? This is going to come up again if the Cardinals decide to let him play out his contract. I guarantee you it's going to come up again. So he is playing this year to force them to think, we've got to extend this guy. It might be after the season, but to and I think that's where the motivation is coming in. And yes, I think the door is closed in terms of it's not going to be a distraction, but it ain't over. It's a revolving door. Right now yes, it's at the part it's where it's closed. Door. You can't walk in. That's a and good then point. when the season ends, it'll open again. It's good. I like it's, that. it's like out at the bubble. Like if you don't turn the revolving door just enough, it's got that horrible squeak going. That's kind of where it is right now. And if you leave your keister explodes, it'll get blown off because of the uh, you know the air coming through. There you the, go. Right? You saw there. You know. I think that was possibilities there. Danny. So two observations on Buda Baker: agree or disagree, and I know you will. Number one: Do you think this culture, this staff, is a better match for his mentality than the previous coaching staff? It seems like it. Buda was really the first player at the end of last season to talk about it, you know, the, the lack of attention to detail and, and the season kind of falling off. And that is what we continue to hear from players is attention to detail and focusing on the little things and more discipline about not eating in meetings, not being so much as 30 seconds late to a meeting and, and holding yourself more accountable. And from what we saw in hard knocks of, those post-game speeches in the locker room after those hard losses for Budin and wanting more and, and having that passion, this kind of feels like it would be a better fit for him. I don't disagree, but I also feel like that's – everything just kind of got off the rails last year. Like, I don't, I don't know if that coaching staff in itself he had a problem with. Buddha to me, is the kind of person that he's going to you, – you put him on a coach – He's going to be here. This is his coach. He's going to be all in. I, I don't see Buddha as the kind of guy who is going to look at a brand new coach and say, yeah, this guy doesn't work for me. That's not him. He's going to be all in. I think the only reason he wasn't, we had any kind of blip this offseason, had more to do with his contract than anything else. Um, you know, and, and maybe there were some concerns about, you know, being in the prime of his career and, and maybe not winning a lot of games, but. Um, again, you don't, to me, you don't be a face of the franchise. You don't build a team around a guy who isn't going to be all in who you put out. And that kind of goes back to like, he sees himself as a Cardinal. Does he want to stay a long-term Cardinal? Yes. He says he wants to stay a long-term Cardinal. Are they going to want to keep him a long-term Cardinal? I mean, it takes well, two to tango on this stuff too. That brings me in. tangle as Wolf likes to say. Brings me to my second question. Would any other player besides Buda Baker, actually have had his contract renegotiated. I think he's the one player on this roster who asked for some new money, who actually would have gotten new money, and he did. Did he get what he's looking for? Probably not. But he got a little bump, got some incentives, probably $2.4 million by the time it's said and done to the end of this year. No extra guarantees next year. But I think any other player would ask for what he was asking for. They'd still be sitting at home waiting. I think that's a fair, fair take on this. Me too. 
Me he, too. He's just that important and that good of a fit. And being in his prime and being an all-pro. So there's that. I thought, by the way, my other favorite quote so far of camp, we got to do something with this, is when Jonathan Gannon was asked about James Conner. He listed some of the strengths, his likes, his whole forth, and he said, you know what, and I'm really, quote, excited to watch him get behind this O-line and cram the ball vertical. <laughs> we got to do something with that. Cram the ball vertical offense. You know, something, something there, there's potential there. All right, to Danny, be fair, I can't do everything, Danny. To, Maybe you can flesh it out and finalize to that. To be okay? fair, if he would have said it that straight out, it would be one thing, but we all were there, and it was almost like Gannon was trying to say something, and he kind of, you know, he crammed the ball vertical. Like, he was almost like, eh, this didn't, isn't coming out quite the way I wanted. So He did sort of say it quickly at the end of a sentence. Yeah. You're right. He didn't, like, pound the podium and really deliver I mean, it like Shakespeare in the park. He didn't deliver it with a lot of oomph. You're right. We're going we're gonna to see. There's a lot of tight ends. Well, I was going to say there's a lot of tight ends being used in this offense for what we've seen so far, and that's true, but there's also a lot of tight ends that aren't practicing half the time. So so many tight ends. We saw Jeff Driscoll playing tight end <laughs> at one point in 11-on-11. 11 11. Your, your four-string quarterback was in a four-point stance. I found that entertaining. There he, <laughs> he comes off the ball, and I forget who the end was. He's like, well, what am I doing with this? This guy's wearing a non-contact jersey. Just get away from me. Like, well, Why well, is a, a guy point. in a non-contact jersey in the trenches? I don't well, know what. Because not enough tight ends were practicing. I don't know what problem. nicks or bumps or bruises Trey McBride or Hollywood Brown are dealing with, but hopefully not so serious yeah, to where we won't see him on the field. True. Yeah. By the I way, tried. I asked. You yeah. did. You did. Really? What, what, what did you – you got a lot of nothing? Just, just still saying? bumps, nicks, and bruises. You know, they'll do, a li- they'll do a little today. I think it's fair to say that Jonathan Gannon, one thing that he's got in common with Cl- Cliff Kingsbury is he's not going to say much about injuries, if anything. When Drew Petzing – I'm just – I'm fixated on some of these quotes we've heard so far. You know, the over-analysis, right, of, of, of said quotes. When Drew Petzing was asked about the Cardinals' offense – just sort of, I don't know, the mentality, philosophy. And he said, quote, the biggest thing is to be multiple. In this league, if you get predictable, you get easy to defend. Yeah. You think Petsing was aware that that was probably the biggest indictment of the previous offense? No. Probably not. That's probably just a general I would think that's a general. Philosophy. I mean, to be honest, it's – Like, he wasn't going like tacit Sean Payton talking about no. Nathaniel Hackett at all, was he? Like uh, – I mean, if you – This is what happened here in the past. You're thinking that. They were negligent. I also think that that quote is very coach-speaky. I mean, okay. it just it worked out that, yeah, that's something that we paid attention to last year. But, no, I don't think that that was – I don't think that was directed anything. I think that would be – I mean, because what did he really say? He didn't really say anything. It was just sort of – I understand. Interesting how he keeps coming back to the you have to be multiple. If you're predictable, you're easy to defend, you're dead in the water. And that basically, in so many ways, is what doomed the Cardinals three years in a row down yeah, the stretch. You're right. How many times did we talk about the offense is going to have to adjust to the adjustment – so, I, like I said, how can you not sit there and listen to him say that and go, okay, well, if you're looking to diagnose what had ailed the Cardinals offense the last few years, if that's your mentality and approach, that's exactly what this team needed, I guess. That's my reaction. To you're that, always so. looking for the conspiracy theory there, Just trying Paul. to drill a little deeper and see, you know, like, uh, because, look, I ask. Why didn't you ask Drew Petzing that? Well, I, I – 
Drew, is that a is that a shot against the previous? Right. Yeah. Are you going Sean Payton on the previous uh, scheme? Um, but I did ask Kelvin Beecham just how different, more of a general question, you know, this this offense is, just the scheme itself. And his answer was, well, and he paused, Kelvin Beecham, and he chose his words carefully. But he did say that, you know what, it's good to be going forward, not backward. Once again, cram the ball vertical, straight ahead, yes. as opposed to horizontal. And I – I mean, we all kind of saw that. I mean, it's one thing to do it in the college game where your athletes might be better than most of their athletes and you can get the edge and all that stuff. But that just wasn't going to happen in the NFL. And and I, I do think it'll be refreshing. And what's kind of funny about it is, is it's going to be refreshing to watch this team do these things when all you're doing is going back to really basic offense in the NFL, you know. It's not like it's uh, – what well, I think Drew was the one who said we're not – it's not like we're doing anything that's revolutionary. No, they're not. All right, the biggest here's, – here's my big finish. The biggest question you'd like to see answered by the end of camp. There are a lot of questions, a lot of decisions that need to be made, but what's the one front burner issue right now you'd like to see an answer to by the time the Cardinals break camp, and we're less than two weeks away from the Cardinals breaking camp. So you're saying when you're saying breaking camp, you mean literally at, at the stadium because they're, they're still oh. going to have a good okay. chunk of the preseason You're right. Left. Let's just say by the end of August, by okay. the end of the preseason, what's the biggest thing you'd like to have determined or decided by this team? I, my biggest thing would be who can you rely on on your outside pass rush? I don't know if they're going to be able to answer that, but that would be my biggest question. I thought about a couple other things, you know, whether Clayton Toon could be your quarterback or the. But to me, it's still going to come down to because I, I, you know, watching some of this stuff right now, like, would you like a better cornerback situation? Yes, <laughs> probably. Yep. But like, it again, it's the old. Is it? Would it even matter if you had prime Patrick Peterson back there if you're having trouble get to the quarterback? Danny. I would probably go with who are who is your starting cornerback opposite of Marco Wilson, and and having that decided and kind of going with the pass rushes. You obviously need to have some solid coverage, um, so that's kind of where I would like to see a decision made. I want to go with center because mm -hmm. I think Yelda Froholt is gonna get a heck of a competition from Pat Elfline eventually and I've heard some really good things about John Gaines and how he has looked so far in camp and the same theory that has Paris Johnson Jr. starting a right tackle could that apply to a John Gaines at center again I there's there's no reason to me there's no reason to not think that for a lot of positions but that's secondary to me to Isaiah Simmons I keep coming back oh, to Isaiah Simmons I want to okay. see where he fits in this defense and will we have an answer to that question by the time we're done with the preseason is he gonna be a factor this year or not can they somehow harness that athleticism you could have had that be the biggest question at the end of training camp for four years now <laughs> right. hey, I'm how still are waiting. Your, I've been patient. I'm still how waiting. How are your seven players you're keeping an eye out for? Oh, now? Yeah. Okay. How are they okay. doing? All right. I've narrowed it down, Danny. Okay. I, I, I heard the criticism second only to the mustache around here, so I've narrowed it down. Uh, I probably sh buried the lead, sort of like you guys were refusing to talk about Clayton Toon getting first-team reps. I buried the lead. <laughs> here it is. I settled on an offensive and defensive Pauly Pigskin breakout player at camp. Okay. okay. Envelope, please, as we uh, get – here we go. 
That didn't work. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Amari DiMercato, the TCU running back on offense. Okay. And I'm going with Dante Stills, the six-rounder. one. West Virginia, really the only true three technique they have on this team, the athleticism. Those are the two I'm going with right now. I feel like they, they seem to like the rookie wide receiver and Daniel Arias. Uh, it seems like if Michael Wilson is not out there, that is their next option to get some height and size, and he's been getting some – some good reps, it looks like. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, but I certainly don't want Paul right now coming in Shoot. saying, yeah, I'm going to include him too. Forget I said that, Paul. He actually is one of the few I did not include in my original wow. list going back a couple yeah, he months wasn't. ago. So, You know, Paul, I'm surprised um, that um, this is the first podcast since the news came out and you didn't bring up aliens or UFOs, speaking of conspiracy theories. I, I was, but we had to wait an extra day because I was so distracted over the last week that Congress was actually having official hearings on UFO sightings. And there was actually a high-ranking member of NASA and or the government who testified in front of Congress that they do have alien spacecraft in their possession. They've been reverse engineering it, trying to see how it works. And they also might have evidence of alien UFO life in possession of the U.S. government. And how is that not getting more play in the news? I, I, You're the one who chose not to bring it up on Cardinals Underground. The, maybe it's because the former president's been indicted a million times already. <laughs> Could be. There are other headlines. There's no doubt about it. Economic, political, and otherwise. You're right. But... Don't think I'm not keeping an eye on that, Danny. Don't think I wouldn't expect anything less. In fact, I'm writing this down. Next week, the UFO update desk. I'm going to make that a daily staple. I'll let you know, Danny, because I know you're dying to know, but you don't admit it. I am, but I'm not making the effort to to read into it. So, honestly, I would appreciate the updates. That's not even being sarcastic. Let me know when I need to be worried. All right. All right. Uh, I, I, you know what? I might start a UFO like text update, you know, and I'll get a list going and it'll go directly Substack. to your phone. That'll be my side hustle. UFO updates right to your phone. I like it. I'll get a sponsor. Oh, yeah. boy. And that'll do it for Cardinals Underground <laughs> brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.